Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable marketing and business development insights from innovative thinkers. The podcast series is brought to you by Ackert, the company behind Pipeline Plus. Tired of overcomplicated CRM? Pipeline Plus is the easiest business development tool you'll ever use. It helps you organize and focus on your most important relationships. With instructional e-learning tutorials and concrete suggestions from our built-in AI, Pipeline Plus gives you everything you need to get new business from your existing network. Visit AckertInc.com to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today our guest is Anand David, who's the Global Head of Lateral Partner Recruitment and Integration at Hogan Levels. Anand, great to have you on the show. David, thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show. Tell us a little bit about your role in the firm. Sure. So I am responsible for the recruitment of partners and their integration globally for Hogan Levels. It's a role I took on two years ago. And so this has everything to do with the attraction, assessment, wooing of partners from other firms or potentially from government or in-house. And then also working on their successful integration into the firm over a defined period of initial time. Perfect. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about integration today. Um, You know, roughly half of laterals leave within three to five years. Most people who have their eye on this arena of law know that figure well. Uh, I've always been somewhat shocked on that figure. You know, we are an industry that prides itself on doing things well Uh, and holding ourselves to a high standard. And yet here is a process that is very expensive for the firm. And we're looking at basically a coin toss in terms of success. The last time I checked, 50% was a low F. So, um, you know, this is an area that I think a lot of firms would be interested in thinking about and ultimately implementing strategies that would uh, improve those results I'm curious as to your perspective on the industry statistic. Yeah, it's a great launching point, David. I've been in the legal industry for 13 years. Uh, Hogan Lovells is the third firm I've worked in. I come, I come from investment banking before that energy. And what I can tell you about all that time, including in the legal industry, is I've seen all kinds of statistics and estimates that you're describing. I've seen them as low as 25 and as high as 60 in terms of external domain. Um, articles, et cetera. The only consistent thread that I can observe is that almost everyone I know, including the firms where I've been, points out that one, this number is an average, and two, that their law firm is better than the average. (laughs) Uh, Mathematically impossible, but I can completely appreciate why, you know, firms would take that position. Um, I I look forward to the firm that says, okay, it was us. We were the one that was pulling that average down. Uh, Ours is zero. And that's why everybody else gets to be higher than than 50%. We're in extraordinary times. That would be truly extraordinary. It's understandable that firms are eager to posture and position that, you know, we are great at integration. They have to send that message out, frankly, regardless of how true it is, simply because otherwise, how are they going to attract talent? Um, But this is a complicated process, the idea of uh, lateraling someone from another firm, you know, whether that's at the associate or certainly at the partner level where there's a book of business involved, there are expectations around uh, bringing a client base over. Uh, I'm curious as to your perspective, what are the characteristics in your mind of a successful integration? And maybe a few words about how Hogan Lovell's 
applies some of these best practices. Just giving background and context, I think if you did a search online, you know, there are all kinds of suggestions, top 10 lists, checklists, and really great books, wonderful articles by different thought leaders. You could buy software around talent management acquisition as well as integration. There's a lot there to digest and distill. And for me personally, I try to distill things down to the rule of three. So I'm going to respond to you in three ways. One is at the outset, why are you recruiting a lateral partner, right? I think that's just a very basic question. So are we recruiting this lateral partner for an existing client or because we expect them to bring on new clients? What type of partner are we looking for? Are we looking for you know, a marquee, in, you know, rainmaking partner, transformational move the needle, or more of a partner that would be serving a, a specific capacity, skill set issue, or otherwise? But I think one is being really clear about what you're looking for. If you're not clear in terms of deliberation, discipline, rigor, precision about this is what we're looking for and why, I think that you're going to have a bad foundation to begin with. The second one is, can you really articulate who you're looking for, what they would bring to the table, and why you're looking for it? And then equally, what would your firm offer this partner, and why would they come to your firm? So I think that's really the first set of questions that we really try to assess before we do anything in terms of the recruitment part of lateral partners. The second one then is, how do you measure their success or lack thereof? And here we, again, focus on three things. One is a period of time. Some partners might require a year or two of integration if they have a successful practice, portable book, uh, et cetera. Whereas someone coming out of in-house or government may require more time. So I don't think it could be one size fits all. And I think you have to view people individually and situationally. The second one is metrics, KPIs, right? A lot of discussion around this. So what are the metrics? Uh, are you transparent about them? Does the partner themselves, he or she know what they're being measured against? Do they understand the metrics? And like all other things, there's a point of diminishing returns with metrics. One of my partners at the firm likes to say, you know, if you measure everything, you're measuring nothing, right? So is it, is it five metrics? Is it seven metrics? Is it 10 metrics? Uh, but what are the metrics? And, and again, why do they matter? And do, do people understand them? And then finally, the last bucket is consistent measurement, right? By which I mean, over that time period, whether it's one year, two years, or three years, having regular check-ins with the lateral partner. So the old joke used to be, welcome to the firm. Here's your BlackBerry when they were Blackberries. Here's your Amex card. There's your office. We'll see you in a year. Now it's much more about, okay, what would your regular framework for check-ins be? Who should be there for those check-ins in terms of partners, marketing and business development, partner recruitment integration team? What do we discuss in, that, in those meetings in terms of what we said we would do, what the partner said they would do, who's accountable for those things happening or not? And finally, at the end of the day, who gets credit for the failure and blame for the success. I like how you've broken that into three buckets with some components within those buckets. A couple of those I'd like to drill into, if you don't mind. One of them in particular is the metrics. Firms talk about KPIs. Some firms are better at that than others. Uh, in my experience, most firms tend to focus on lagging indicators, where it's looking in the rearview mirror and saying, okay, how have we done so far? But that doesn't necessarily give them much insight into forecasting success when someone says metrics to me in a law firm, I immediately key, on and key in on that um, because I just, I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious about what, uh, what that looks like. And I recognize it's going to be different firm to firm. Curious as to how it looks at yours. In terms of key measurables, key metrics, the first one has to be related to the billable hour. What hours are they billing? How many hours do they have? And 
where what are they billing for the period of time that you're looking at, whether it's been you know six months, one month, or three years, et cetera. The second one is obviously collections, and this is where you know discounts and other things come into play. But you know, are they actually collecting what they're billing, which is equally, if not more important? There's another bucket, I think, which is work in progress. And I think the work in progress part goes back to the original business case. It goes back to who are the clients. What do the clients need? Um, what does this person or persons do for the client? And some of it is in the control of the firm. Some of it's in control of the candidate or partner in this case. Some of it's in control of the client. Some of it's not in the control. There are practices that are cyclical. There are practices that are counter-cyclical. There are force majeure events that happen. If you hire a real estate partner when the real estate market's hot and then the real estate market takes, you know, tanks, that's not always in the control of the people that would like to be in control of it. I think that has to be taken into account. One way of, of, of doing this is, A, yes, you have to have very specific metrics, collections, billings, hourly rate, discounts, write-offs, work in progress. The other part is just going back and just saying, okay, what's in our control? What's in the, the partner's control? What's happening in the world around us? And being more reflective. It's very important to look at the numbers, but there's more than the numbers as well. In your experience, have you seen integrations where the hours looked pretty good, the collections were reasonable, there was decent whip? and it still didn't work out? Those all sound like reasons that would equivocate to success. The reasons why that wouldn't lead to success would be if the nature of that work was kept in one practice, one area to one person, if that work wasn't being spread amongst a good ratio of partners to associates, let's say, the real profitability obviously of a practice comes in from the associates you're being billed. Right. If that work isn't being um, done all in the firm by which um, the partner's bringing in the work, but we can't do the work in a certain jurisdiction or because of a specific um, specialism that's required. And so therefore we have to farm out that work. So it's not as profitable because we're not doing it. So I think, again, it, it requires some reflection on what's happening that's not always right on the spreadsheet. That's potentially a leading indicator that we can add to the metrics that we're tracking in order to head failure off at the pass. To what extent is, uh, is this a situation where there are symptoms of siloing? To what extent are we really institutionalizing the clients and the relationships of the new partner? And if we're not seeing evidence that those steps are being taken in the near term, within that I would say, you know, first six to nine months, then don't be fooled by the traditional metrics of hours, collections, and WIP, because there may be that fourth you know, less visible component that can also derail the integration. Absolutely agree. Let's switch gears a little bit here. I want to talk about the topic of diversity. Obviously, it's a, a critical component in any acquisition strategy, especially now. Curious as to your thoughts as to the challenges and the importance of diversity in talent acquisition. Diversity is constant. The importance of it, the consistency of why it's important, to whom it's important, not only the employer and their employees, but obviously to their clients and to you know, the society and community around them. And we're seeing that in multiple ways manifest itself now. I think what's important is that it is looked at from different perspectives and prisms. So is diversity important at Hogan levels? Absolutely. Has it been before the events of the last three, four months? Yes. Will it continue to be? Yes. Is that enough to sustain and drive its continued importance. I would like to think so, but I think also what would be helpful would be clients. We here at Hogan Levels talk about putting the clients in the center of everything. That's our number one principle 
in terms of our firm. Well, what does that mean? It means that the clients can also drive the importance of diversity. They, they do, in fact, they've done a lot in terms of the different initiatives to encourage law firms to recruit more diverse attorneys, whether they be partners or otherwise, to have more diverse classes, to bring pitch teams that are more diverse. So there's a lot of things that clients have done and I believe are doing now and will continue to do to sustain and reinforce the importance of diversity. The other part is beyond the law firm and the clients, there are individuals, I won't name anyone in particular, or groups, I won't name anyone in particular, but you can see them all the time on LinkedIn or law.com, American Lawyer. There are very, very passionate people and there are very passionate people, passionate organizations that are thinking about how to help people of diverse nature, either whether it be women and them coming back to work, underrepresented minorities, LGBTQ, et cetera. So what does that all mean? It's important at home levels. It's, it's, it's always been important in terms of my career, but I think it definitely takes a village. It's gonna take more than one constituent in this, in this whole sort of arena to both address it, keep everyone honest about it and hold everyone accountable. And I think that's really, in my experience, been the key. Yeah. Well, there's certainly been a reflection of the fact that we're uh, later to this party than perhaps we should be as an industry. And this isn't something that we can turn around in short order, um, despite firms' best efforts. You know, a lot of the ratios still aren't where clients would like to see them. Uh, and so, you know, this is a, a fight that we have to continue fighting and, and be patient with, with the fact that we may not look the way we want to look next year or the year after that. This may be a years long uh, journey before we have the kind of diversity at our law firms that, uh, that we'd like. Yeah, I think it's more reflective of what's going on societally, not just what's in law firms, but law firms, our clients, other industries, the world around us, right? And that's not an excuse. It's, it's an explanation and observation. And I think we have to take that all into account. Tell me a little bit about what Hogan Levels does well from your perspective when it comes to integration. I think first and foremost is the fact that we have an integration process that we can point to. We have a team that is responsible for managing integration. We can tell a lateral partner in their interviewing assessment process, what our integration process looks like week one, month two, six months in. We can describe the various people that are involved in the integration process, be it partners, um, whether it's people from the marketing and business development team, the finance team, the client team, the, 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 you know, the people resource function in which I'm in. I think we can, we can say all these things because it's true, which reflects thought and consideration, discussion about what this looks like. So I think when we do that with our latter partners, people are very pleased. They're happy to know that there is an integration team, there's an integration process that we can point to things that are, are being done and we can talk about things that we're going to do. So that's one part. The other part I think is making sure that we don't believe we have it all figured out and we don't. We have a sincere desire here at Hogan Levels to make it better iteratively. A core value of ours is to aim for continuous improvement. So we're constantly thinking about what we can do to make it better. We're asking for feedback from the lateral partners, from our partners and the practices. We're having discussions at the management and leadership level, and we're talking about this. What are we doing? What's working? What's not working? How can we make it better? So I think those are the important aspects of what we attempt to do here at other levels in terms of integration. Well, any firm that's being honest with itself, whether it claims to have a 25% success rate or a 60% success rate, still can point to 
there being room for continuous improvement. So how would you advise that firms find that room? How can they improve their culture? How can they make sure that the acquisitions that they invest so much time and energy in stay? Well, there's two parts to that question that I'd like to address, David. The second is culture, which I'll come to next. The first is metrics. I think it goes back again to being really clear about what you're looking for and how you measure it and having those conversations, again, iteratively, on a fluid basis. It's not welcoming a partner on day one and then saying in 360 days, we'll have a conversation about how this is going, but really having conversations in between those 360 days, that first year, about what's happening, what's not happening, why, being very curious, really testing your assumptions, making sure you understand all the different variables, macro, micro, internally, et cetera. It's complex. The reason why it's so hard is because it's complex. I think one has to acknowledge the level of complexity Without acknowledging the level of complexity, one will take a simplistic point of view towards it. And I think that's where one tends to get in trouble. The the second issue is really around culture, as you brought up. And I think it's a really important part as well. The first part is, does your firm have a culture? And again, that sounds like a pretty obvious question, but the answer is not always obvious. And if you do, can you describe it? Can you articulate it? Can you talk about it? in a way that's consistent, regardless of who is describing it in the firm. And that really comes down to behavior. How do people behave? As you and I both know, the easiest way to instill and encourage the right behaviors are to hold people accountable. So for us here at Hogan Levels, we focus on a couple of different things. I said earlier that one of our first principles is putting clients at the center of everything. Another one is collaboration and connectivity. That's really important for the firm. That's collaboration and connectivity amongst lawyers, amongst business services, between lawyers and business services, between our firm and our clients, et cetera. So there's this collaboration and spirit of connectivity that one sees. It really comes down to the golden rule. How do you treat others as you want to be treated? Which I just described as just try to be nice. I think this is one of the most elusive endeavors that our industry has ever tackled or ever will. How can we get the culture to the point where it is aligned with our strategic objectives? I think there's a real opportunity for firms to uh, take a keen look at their their cultures, how they design them, uh, how they want them to evolve, and whether or not that evolution is going to match their strategic objectives as a business. Uh, And certainly all of that ties right back to the concept of making a strategic acquisition like a lateral and ultimately being able to optimize it over time. These are complex systemic issues in our community, in our society, in our world. And the law firm is a reflection of that. It's a part of it. It's a microcosm of it. But I think there are important things that are being done that can affect the broader world around us in a positive way. And I'm very pleased and very proud to be part of that at Hogan Levels. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today, Anand, and the thought that you put into those thoughts. Uh, I know that our listeners will also get a lot out of this conversation, and uh, I really wish you all the best of success uh, in your role and at Hogan Levels as we continue to navigate these uncertain times. Thank you, David, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you. Today's episode was brought to you by Ackert, the company that solves business development problems for professionals around the world. Visit AckertInc.com to learn more about our consulting, coaching, and technology solutions.